Remain standing. Please turn to your Bibles, if you have one, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 22. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you under uh, the chairs in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 through 22. Hear now God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Last Easter, in my sermon on Philippians chapter 3, I shared the story my professor once shared about an Australian bishop who was asked by a skeptical journalist this question. Bishop, what if there was some way to prove that the historical Jesus never was resurrected? And that there was some way to prove this by the discovery of his actual body and doing a scientific study on it, proving that it was him. What would that do to your faith? The journalist asked. And the bishop simply replied, it wouldn't affect my faith one bit because Jesus has risen in my heart. And for the bishop, he didn't care about a historical, actual resurrection of our Savior. Well, just a couple months ago, a pastor posted on social media basically the same premise of this question, basically in a, a U.S. Uh, context. And he said, if, Christ, if Jesus had never risen from the grave, would that change your faith? And I was expecting droves of American Christians replying, of course that would completely change our faith. But instead, I saw more of the bishop sentiment. My faith wouldn't change very much if Christ had not been raised. How mind-boggling this is. Because as we'll see in this passage, the bishop and the many people who chimed in on that social media post couldn't be more wrong. Because our hope, our foundation of the faith is actually based on the death, yes, on Good Friday, and the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. As Paul later will say in verses 17 through 19, if Jesus was not raised again, our faith is futile. It's pointless. And we should be pitied more than anyone else in this world because that says we live this Christian life for nothing. All our hopes of eternal life amounts to nothing. It's not an exact parallel, but think about all the people that sold all their possessions and moved to the mountains because someone told them Jesus was coming back on a certain date. I, I had a former congregate member who had a, his father do this. Very sad. 
And when that day passes on the calendar and they realize, oh, we were scammed. We gave all our money. We lost all our possessions. They look at their life as futile. If Jesus never rose again from the dead, not only is our earthly life pointless, but there isn't any hope for a life afterward. The thoughts of eternal life are also futile. But if you're banking all of your life and eternity on the fact that Jesus actually rose again, but that actually didn't occur, we should be more pitied than anyone else. Oh, but thanks be to God, Jesus rose again. Amen? The resurrection of Jesus is part of what we call the gospel. If you're unfamiliar with that term, it just means good news. There is a good news that God has for his people. Earlier in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul explains the essence of the gospel. You don't have to turn there, but in verse 3, earlier in chapter 15, he says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. He's saying this is the, the primary center of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, a reference probably to Hosea 6 that we read earlier. And so the gospel, good news that we celebrate, is the live death, and Paul says, and the resurrection of Christ. This is essential. You can't negotiate that. You can't add or subtract, no matter, no matter how many centuries pass. And so let's look at today's text, starting in verse 12. And we'll then go over six points at the very end of why the resurrection of Jesus is so critically important. Look with me in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Many people, some 2,000 years ago, were denying that there was this afterlife of all of eternity and that's impossible to be raised from the dead. So he was hearing this in his own context, perhaps even if he was here today in, in our context here. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. What makes the thought of resurrection possible to Paul was the truth being told that the first resurrection was from Christ himself. But if you deny that, oh, then verse 14 and following, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. It goes hand in hand, the power of the resurrection. One cannot be true without the others. Well, Paul is saying, if Christ has not been raised, then we, if Christ has been raised, then we can be raised through him. And if this is not true, then all that we do at Westminster, all our preaching, all our faith, which just means trusting in the finished work of Christ, is useless. But more than that, we would be, as Paul is saying, charlatans, fakes, false witnesses, scammers, swindlers, posing as something is true in order to get fame or money from people. That's what we would be if Christ wasn't literally, physically raised from the grave. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We learned uh, over the winter when we were doing our first Thessalonian series, that those that have died, 
back then, 2,000 years ago, was termed, they, they, they fell asleep. They, they've fallen asleep. And so those already who trusted in the promised Messiah of God are lost, he's saying. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We, we touched on this earlier. If all your hoping and living was because of our hope in the resurrected Christ, then that would all be lost if he was not raised and we should be pitied. Just like all the people that have been scammed and have lived a false lie. A life of futility. So already touching on faith being futile if Christ had not been raised, let's go back to the phrase, you are still in your sins. On most occasions when I confess my sins, I experience the blessing of forgiveness, a renewed cognizant realization that I've been washed by the blood of Christ. And I am blessed in that thought of rejoicing because it is true. But often when I confess and repent, I don't know if this is you too, I remember all my other heinous sins of the past sometimes. And I sometimes let out a large exhale of gratitude, a sigh of relief. I don't know if you shared that experience. Realizing that Jesus indeed paid it all on the cross. And if you're here today and you're saying, well, Robin, could... That, that might be true for you as a pastor or someone here has been decades, but for me, I come once a year. I haven't been inside of church walls in many, many years. That can't be for me. No, it could be for you too. And perhaps years later, when you confess your sins, you will say, oh, well, I was upset at your, you know, your child or a coworker. I lashed out at them. God, forgive me. And then comes flooding into your mind Oh, but thanks be to God, you not only have forgiven me for that, but for everything. And you will sometimes let out this big sigh of relief. Oh, God, your work on the cross that we commemorated on Friday covered everything. You paid for all my sins, all my guilt, all my shame. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible, all. You guys ever feel that way when you're reminded of past sins, but you can remember that you are forgiven indeed and you could live on not with shackles of guilt and shame, but live with a deep, deep gratitude? This is the invitation of Jesus Christ. Come all who are weary and heavy laden. Not just those of you guys who are religious or those who have this track record of good works, but anyone who is weary and saying, God, I've, I've tried it in my life. I can't run away and escape the shame and guilt. I realize that I need to repent and confess these things. Oh, can you save a sinner like me? This is what Christianity offers. Only because of the selfless sacrifice and offer of Christ himself. And you can say with Paul as he did early in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul understands that before he converted to Christ, oh, he, he led the group that persecuted the early church and the Christians. Some led in persecution to death. A Pharisee of all Pharisees, he said, I was of the religious elite, but I was not converted. But he is now, and he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Because yes, he died on the cross, but he also actually physically, literally, was resurrected on the third day. Undoubtedly, this verse is what helped John Newton, the former slave transporter who came to Christ, who was converted, who 
later went on to write that wonderful hymn that we all know, Amazing Grace. And I've repeated this quote again, but of course I wanted to bring this up on Easter Sunday. John Newton said, I am not what I ought to be, even as a converted believer. He says, I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. What an encouraging reminder on this Resurrection Sunday. But here's the point. If Jesus never actually rose from the dead, it doesn't matter if you still believe it in your heart like the Australian bishop or so many social media posters. Your faith is empty, futile, and you would still be left in your sins. There is nothing to celebrate or rejoice. So that would entail that every time you remember your past sins, that great thought of forgiveness would be replaced by the nightmare of being left unforgiven and marred forever with your sins. But friends, we wake up. (laughs) Oh, we wake up from that nightmare and remember the truth in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has risen indeed, and if you've repented, Paul is saying, and trusted in Christ's saving work, even today this is possible if you've never believed. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 30 years or one hour, you are not left in your sins any longer. And then he concludes verse 21 to 22, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the great theology that Paul is understanding about the death and resurrection of Christ that has been passed down to us 2,000 years later to grant us hope. We were all spiritually dead because Adam, the first human, was our great representative. And because of his sin, that sin we call original sin, was passed down to all of us in our nature. We are all sinners in our nature, at our core, because of Adam. But Paul is saying, now Christ, the second Adam, represents all, not every human being, but everyone who should believe on him and his saving work of living, the saving work of Christ who lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and being raised again. Paul is saying, we are made alive in Christ because this is true. And he says he is the first fruits. Jesus is the beginning of the notion of the resurrected life. He is the beginning and the first of all to be resurrected. And so why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? 2,000 years ago in the early church, and yes, incredibly so, 2,000 years later. Well, I have six short points. Number one, it's vindication. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Vindication. It proves that death and sin has actually been defeated and Jesus was the true promised Messiah. He lived, he died, and rose again in history as prophesied according to the scriptures. He was the chosen Messiah. He validated his claims by his death and his resurrection. If he had just died and he had all this following and then he just died and then nothing happened, then it'd be proven that he was a lunatic. Early on, his own family called him that. Or anyone else could actually make these claims. But because he was risen, as he even said he would be, those who belong to him have now eternal life, new life, and sin is not their master anymore. 
any, any longer. That's verse 17. But there is a vindication that we have because of the resurrection of Christ. Number two is a promise. Number two, a promise. Christ's resurrection shows and proves that there will be a future resurrection for all believers, as it says in those last verses. He was the first fruit of the resurrection, and he guarantees, if we truly belong to him, that our future resurrection is going to follow. And you might say, well, what about Lazarus? Well, wasn't he the first? Well, Lazarus actually died again. So he was the one to be resuscitated to life, but Jesus didn't die again. He appeared before the disciples, and supernaturally he ascended to heaven. He is the perfect first fruit of the true resurrection, and that is a promise for ours when he comes again. Number three, union to Christ. Union to Christ. The resurrection proves that we believe is our holy then united to Christ. Romans 6, 5 says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. In all these glorious categories, we are indeed united to Christ, and this guarantees the future resurrection that we read about earlier in our confession of faith. We have this union to Christ because of the death and resurrection. Number four, the power of God. As one commentator puts it, it displays the power of God, this resurrection. Only God can truly give life because he created it. So if he can't raise people from the dead, if he himself created life itself, it would show the limits of his own power. But God being omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, he can then raise people from the dead. So why is the resurrection important? Because we believe and worship the creator God, almighty God. Just two quick more uh, points. Number five, atonement. Why is the resurrection so important? It proves that Christ is the ultimate atonement for our sin. That through faith in Christ, the Bible teaches us, we are justified, meaning we are declared as good, righteous, 100%. That's the only way to be accepted in God's presence. Well, we are justified because we believe in the finished sacrificial atoning work of Christ on the cross. Some of you guys might know this, but in the Old Testament, they had rituals and ceremonial sacrifices over and over again, sometimes daily, of all the animals, that the sprinkling of the blood would not wipe out sins, but it would appease God's wrath for that temporary moment, but it was over and over, and just some commentators say, if you, on those special uh, feasts and the special days uh, of just smelling all the slaughtered animals. The stench would be unbearable. That was to point all of them to say, well, someday, someday, oh Lord God, there will be one that replaces all of this, not just for a year or 10 years or 100 years, but forever. Why is a resurrection so important? Well, he was the ultimate sacrifice for sin and finally number six new life in the spirit we live by the same spirit behind the power of the resurrection i admit i forget this often myself someone might ask who actually raised jesus from the dead well we could say with the bible the holy spirit romans 8 verse 11 and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. If you just try to wrap your mind around that, how ludicrous that might seem if you say that to anyone on the street. But if that is true, well, that same power behind the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, I I remember a lot of my dreams. I forget it after a day or two. But all my friends are like, I never remember anything. I'm just like, I, I envy you. Because if it's a nightmare, you know, you're kind of thinking through that the whole day. I just wish I had amnesia and just does not remember for those 24 hours when I wake up. But sometimes I wish I kept dreaming. And one of the repeated dreams that I have is I'm on the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> I grew up loving hockey, and it was just so real <laughs> in my dream. I'm, I have a practice jersey on. I'm looking at my favorite players that I grew up watching, and I'm like, I did it. <laughs> I'm here, and I'm skating like I've never skated before. I have this awesome slap shot. I'm like, where did this come? Sometimes in a different sport, I can dunk. And then I wake up, and I say, who am I kidding? But... Oh, how I just wish that was true, that I had this athletic prowess, that I was a professional athlete. Now, on a very, very small scale compared to what we're talking about, what if someone somehow said, well, I can give you that power. I could share all these things so that you could do this or that. You'd be amazed. You would take advantage. Not many here would deny that. But the point I'm bringing up is that, sadly, this is what happens to us spiritually. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave is in you, but you have such a difficult time applying that or learning to trust that this is true, and i first in line to admit that. Friends, the gospel invites us to this transformative life where Christ dwells in us, the hope of glory, through his spirit, And in faith, we need to believe that if you belong to Christ, the same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive in you. So the application is then to live in this power. That, wait a second, you mean there could be new affections for the things of God? Yes. You mean there there is this new spirit-led ability now to forsake sin and fix our minds on things above? That's actually possible. We say, yes, of course you will fail. Of course we still have indwelling sin and it's not a perfect road. But yes, yes. And my goodness, if this weekend was just about remembering and then going back to live our shackled living in fear and guilt and shame, then this weekend really is practically just that empty holiday for all of us. But it's not. It's remembering again that the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. And so, Christian, this empowers you to live for him and to love others. Have you ever kind of did a check on your life every decade and just say, wow, I don't know how I'm able to have compassion like I just showed on last Friday or last year. I don't, I don't, what, what, what's in me that is allowing me to sacrifice my life in service to person A or person B, and it should dawn on you, wait, it's because the same spirit that actually raised our Savior from the grave is living in me. It's not because I've, I've just learned the, uh, the mechanics of being a religious person. 
but it's because God is transforming you inside out. But if you deny that you can live in the new life, then you're actually denying that the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. But believe it, brothers and sisters, believe it, embrace it for the glory of God. Why the resurrection has so much importance, not just to bring warm fuzzies or to check off something on a religious checklist, but to say there is purpose in my life to live for the things of him, to remember my forgiveness. Oh, the spirit that is in me convicts me of my sin, to not say, hey, clean yourself up, Robin, but to say, Robin, go back to the cross and gaze upon our Savior. I had a friend who in seminary over a decade ago suffered from a serious case of doubt of Christianity in itself. He's training up to be a pastor. I almost, if I could admit, be honest with you, was kind of puzzled by that. You're, you're training up to be a pastor, but you're wondering if this is true altogether. <clears throat> and he went up to one of our well-known professors for some advice, and the professor simply said, and he's a brilliant New Testament scholar, he could have gave all these fancy theological terms and, and answers. And he said, brother, just start with Jesus. He said, just, just start with Jesus. He was an actual historical person. He actually historically lived. He actually was crucified and died. He actually rose again. You see, he was witnessed earlier in chapter 15, by, it says, by 500 believers or so after the resurrection. That makes a pretty tight witness, don't you think? He was a historical figure, but also the awaited Messiah in whom we have thousands of prophecies fulfilled in one person. And so you start with Jesus. How could this one man be the savior that would predict that I'm gonna die, but then be raised again on the third day, and that I'm fulfilling in myself all the hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies in one person? He said, you see, in our faith, we have evidence of this historical Jesus, historical witness from believers and even non-believers. There were writings preserved from the Roman Empire uh, that were not Christians that spoke of Christus and his people. And we don't base our faith on something mystical or only, only experiential, but the historical evidence and its factuality is critical to our faith. And so when someone says, I don't really care if Jesus rose again, it's just, it's just good for my mind and it's good for my body and I'm just... Uh, That's all I need for my psyche. But we don't base our faith on that. And back to the hundreds of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Jesus, one Christian apologist wrote, the odds against any one person's fulfilling of all the prophecies from the Old Testament, again, hundreds of them, are astronomical. Yet Jesus fulfilled all of them, not just some of them, but all of them. And he said, the odds a person could, f- could fulfill all those prophecies is about one in 10 to the 17th degree. And so one famous Christian apologist in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, quotes this mathematician, Peter Stoner, in the odds one person could actually fulfill. He says, suppose we take this number of silver dollars, 10 to the 17th degree, lay them on the face of Texas, they will cover all of the state two feet deep, And he says, now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, two feet deep. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must, as as he's blindfolded, 
pick up that one marked silver dollar. And the mathematician says, what are the chances? Jesus fulfilled all these astronomical odds and he fulfilled them all in himself. If that doesn't work for you, what about the argument that says, why would so many be willing to die for a lie? If the Christians thought, oh, well, Jesus died and said he'd come back, but he didn't. He didn't, you know, rise again on the third day, but we'll live as if he did. And we'll be persecuted and killed for this lie. It doesn't sound like a good plan, disciples. No. There are people willing to die for truth or what they believe is to be true, right? We see that today in Christianity, those who are still martyred all across the world. But would people be willing to die for a lie? Hundreds of them, freely, willingly. Something must have happened for Jesus' disciples to turn their lives completely to him through their own death. It must have been taken a miracle. Oh, yes, and that miracle was the resurrection of Christ himself. It took the power of the Holy Spirit to live in them to testify, yes, this is all true. Because the disciples were wimps before and after his death. They scattered, but something happened for them to be so bold, to die so willingly after his death. Because the resurrection validated all of his claims as the Messiah, and they boldly lived and died for him. This is true. So now we freely can give our lives to Christ even unto death. So I'll end with a quote from a Christian writer who does a a good job of just plainly summarizing, quote, when the cross is a display of God's love and justice, the resurrection is his victory over all that enslaves. The fact that Jesus rose from the death is the hope of salvation. On Easter, we gather to worship. We thank the one who conquered Satan, sin, and death. Oh, brothers and sisters, this Resurrection Sunday should be a reminder of hope, a reminder of faith that we have, and the confidence we have in the victory of the vindicating death and life of Jesus Christ. And so we must rejoice, and we're going to do that together in song in a moment. But if anyone here who's streaming today or in person, and you just say, well, I I, I didn't walk in here with that hope secured, but I want it, Pray to God for this salvation. Tell him that you want to believe. It is really that easy. There are no strings attached. Salvation is a gift that you only need to receive. Other religions, it's always, I got to work my way up. I got to work on that, get on that ladder, work my way up. Christianity, one pastor and theologian says, is the only religion where God comes down to us. And all we do is receive with open, empty hands. Oh, I want to believe. Oh, yes, Lord, this is a great day to call upon your name and be saved. So together, as we pray, let's bow our heads. Let's remember, oh, this power and greatness and give glory to God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Easter Sunday. Perhaps some of us are really struggling with just life circumstances, with hardships, with battling with our own indwelling sin, something happening in the family, with our health and sickness, or at work or at school. Oh, but Lord, on this Easter Sunday, 
you've reminded us that we're okay because we have this hope in Jesus the Son and the Savior. I pray this hope becomes so magnified. Oh, be magnified, oh God. And the work of your precious one and only Son, Jesus, that through his death and resurrection we can have eternal life to come, but also live through the Spirit in new life today. Oh, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for vindicating all that you said that you would do because Jesus rose again indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.